Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with Tim Pabick. He's the CEO and founder at Magnatech. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. So, Tim, why don't you start? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I've, I've been doing this professionally for a little over 20 years now. I've uh, been in IT. Uh, uh, took interest, um, you know, growing up in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, I guess I'll go personal first. Um, my dad was a school teacher. Uh, my mom um, worked, uh, still works for Aon Corporation, which is a large insurance brokerage. Um, you know, neither of them, you know, my dad was the first one to go through college. Uh, my mom uh, didn't go to college, so she started working there right after she graduated high school. She's been there ever since. Uh, and so, you know, they they worked really hard to provide a nice life for my sister and I, and uh, I wanted to do the same for my kids. And, you know, my mom always used to say that, you know, our generation would be the first one that had it harder than the previous, uh, just because of just how expensive things ended up getting and, uh, you know, you needed two incomes and things like that. So. Uh, you know, but we were fortunate enough as kids growing up uh, to be taken on, you know, some nice family vacations. My parents would save up for those kinds of things. And so I wanted to provide the same quality of life. Um, and so, um, you know, m- money was definitely a motivator for me to, you know, be able to, and I'm very competitive. So to be able to get ahead and, and do all those things, I knew I had to work really hard. So my parents really taught that work ethic and, um, you know, they were somewhat entrepreneurial as well, even though they had their jobs, they, you know, um, put together the baseball program where I grew up and really worked really hard all summer. My mom was the big fundraiser. She'd go around looking for donations and she would sell candy and do all the other stuff. And my dad was the face guy, the president, the, the politician, but he worked on the fields all the time. Like he was always busting his butt and he lived right across the street from the fields. And so I saw how hard they worked. And, and you know, I, I, I think it just became contagious for me. I just, you know, as much as they would preach hard work, um, they wanted me mostly to apply myself. I wasn't the straight A student like my sister was. Um, you know, I was a little more of a free spirit. But when I applied myself, I did really well. And it, it usually gravitated more towards interests. So if it was something I was really into, I went really, really hard at it, um, 150%, just like starting my own company. You know, once I knew that I was going to do that, um, I went really, really hard at that. Um, things that were less interesting, not so much. You know, I, I I really didn't show much interest. I probably have that same behavior here at work. I bet you my colleagues would tell me the tell tell you the exact same thing. If if I'm hard on it, if I'm big on it, I go hard at it. Mm-hmm. If it's something that I don't really care much about, you could tell I, I won't be too nice to sometimes reject it reject it directly. But what I will do is sort of not show interest, and so then they they know at that point, okay, we're not going to really follow up. We're just going to move this direction. So. You know, so, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, I had a nice childhood, but I grew up, um, you know, as a teenager, you know, working all kinds of jobs, uh, went to DePaul University uh, for computer science. Now, I was graduating high school and I graduated high school in 1998. So that's like how old I am. Um, but I got into college right around the Y2K timeframe and all the rage was, you know, programming and, you know, getting ready for the Y2K switch and COBOL and all this other stuff. I took a lot of those classes, but they became quickly obsolete. Um, back then, the curriculum at the university level, depending on where you went, didn't always have all of the labs and the hands-on. I think the college curriculum for computer science is much better today um, than it was when, when I was going to school, where it was a lot more classroom and theory and stuff that I'm absolutely not interested in. But I did take interest 
into gaming and, you know, playing like first person shooter games and stuff like that. Some of the old timers, guys in their 40s and 50s will probably remember Quake and some of those old games. Um, and that's what I used to play. And um, I got to dabble a little bit in server administration when I was doing that. So um, I, I was tasked with making sure one of our servers was always online and stuff like that because we would host games for other people all around the Internet. So um, from that point, I learned some commands and, and things like that. And that's how I got really an interest in computer science. Um, but I didn't really like the program. Um, that was one thing that I just I just really wasn't excited about. Um, but I did like the the thrill of of you know keeping networks online, being challenged with 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 those types of responsibilities. Um, and that's the direction and the path I took in school. So um, once I once I got out of school, then um, I started working for Ann Corporation. My mom helped me get a job there, and I was working on their help desk, resetting passwords, doing some basic things. Um, was often um, dismayed if I got passed up for a promotion because I thought I interviewed well and I thought I showed up well and I, I never, I wore my heart on my sleeve. So nobody ever really had to question where my loyalties were or what I was, you know, you knew if I was interested or not. Um, and when I was interested, I was going to give you everything I had and, um, you know, but you don't always win. You're, you don't always get the deal. And it's the same thing with clients. You know, we we go in hard on it and don't always win, you know, it's just the way it goes. Um, but you know, once I, um, you know, I started kind of getting passed over for positions, you know, I would move on and I would end up at another job um, where, you know, uh, I would learn a lot more. I, I, had, a, I had a very uh, big appetite for learning knowledge and, and getting information because I wanted to be competent. You know, I wanted to enter into a conversation with some credibility and I wanted to be able to tell people I was a lot better than I was, you know, um, but I had really no experience. And so finally, I found a company that was willing to give me some experience and, and put me out there and give me a chance um, and uh, kind of grew my way to a point where I really couldn't get any further. Um, and so um, I knew, you know, it was either work for a large company where there was a lot of structure and a huge ladder and an opportunity to just keep moving up. Or um, do I do what I want to do? Because I, I struggled with this thing called authority, you know, like if it didn't make sense to me, um, I didn't want to do it. You know, um, and I was a very, I was very highly, you know, very opinionated. I, I had an idea of how I thought things should be done. And when I made up my mind, I was very aggressive about it, you know, and it didn't always jive with everybody else. So, you know, it came to the point where it's like, hey, I, you know, either, and, and I think, you know, I spent, I spent the next eight years, I would say from when I graduated working for all these other people. And then a lot of things changed for me. You know, my, you know, we got married, I got married to my wife. Um, I had my first child, she's now 13. And I remember looking at her in the, in the, in the cradle, you know, um, thinking as a newborn, as a two month old, like, are you going to be proud of me? What kind of legacy am I going to build for you? You know, and I, I felt like I was in a little bit of a rut. I was, I was, I was, um, on a, on a treadmill, if you will, financially. Like I, I felt like I had hit the high point of what this job could pay me. Um, and I knew that if I had to get better, something had to happen. Either I had to go back to school and develop more skills, or it's now or never, and I'm going to start my own company and, mm -hmm. and build a managed services provider, which is uh, basically a subscription where uh, businesses will pay my company a monthly fee for us to do everything from a technology standpoint on there, uh, you know, for their business. Mm -hmm. um, we just don't do any coding or programming. That's a that would be a separate uh, competency that that our company doesn't have. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are strictly networking, managed services, and cybersecurity defense. 
That's what we do. And uh, so, you know, a lot of companies were doing break fix type model where you would kind of wait by the, you know, phone and, you know, a company would call in and they would, um, you know, say, hey, I need some tech support on X, Y, and Z. And then we would develop a relationship where it was more break fix. You know, there, there might be some routine maintenance stuff here and there just to kind of keep cash flow moving. But for the most part, it was break fix. So I developed Magnatech as a managed service provider from the very beginning. Um, and I think that gave us a, uh, a competitive edge over companies that had been around 10, 15 years longer than us. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that's uh, that's how I started. Uh, you know, I just I, I think I had a lot of issues with 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 some um, autonomy. I wanted to have autonomy and I didn't always get it. And so I think um, I, I was I was a beast that you know really couldn't be tamed. I had to develop it my way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a lot of how a lot of businesses form, right? Um, yeah. Unless you're just a, a brilliant mind that has a widget or has something that they want to sell, right? But when you're a service business, sure. you know it, it's you're going to compete sometimes against you know people who may have their way of doing things, and and you know you may decide, well, I think it should be done like this. So mm-hmm. um, with that, you know, just it's taking that leap of faith with a with a two month old, and that's what I did. That's fantastic. It sounds like you've had a really interesting journey getting you to Magnatech being, you know, the CEO and, and founder. You started to talk to me a little bit of a kind of about what Magnatech does. Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, so uh, exactly that. So, uh, you know, a company may have an IT guy on staff or they may use like the smartest guy in the office to like fix common computer problems. Like I can't print or I can't log in or help me set up my email or help me set up email on my phone. You know, you're, you know, the internet doesn't work. So someone's going to go in there rebooting routers, you know, rather than have that happen, you know, why don't we, why don't we have a budget to, to do things right in the first place and, and try to reduce the noise? Um, there's nothing worse than coming back from like a three-day weekend or coming back from vacation and nothing works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to have, to have the, you know, let's say a 20, 30 person team managing your network as opposed to one guy who may not show up that day, he may call in sick or might be hung over from the 4th of July, like, like you know, something like that, and they're not gonna come to work, uh, what do you do, right? So uh, to be able to have, you know, uh, an enterprise quality service team um, and that kind of scale for the cost or less than that one person you were paying them, it's just a, it's a no brainer. But, um, you know, it, 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 it you know, from, from that standpoint, from a financial standpoint and a value standpoint, it's a no-brainer. But a lot of businesses, you know, have their own way of doing things and they may or may not be interested in relinquishing some sort of control, especially over their IT systems. So there's a little bit of trust involved there and it's a relationship type business. You know, we still have to develop a relationship with the people we're working with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, there are a lot of other businesses out there that do, you know, IT services that, that are in the same kind of space as Magnatech. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you're really able to differentiate yourself. Well, you know, I, I've said this many times in the past, the, the tools that we have access to that we acquire from our channel partners to, you know, bundle that into a service, like whether it's backup or spam filtering, or it's just our, our common monitoring tool that allows us to see when networks are up and down and you know, spitting out errors or running clean. Look, my, my company and most of the companies we compete with can obtain all of those tools. No big deal, right? So really, it's going to come down to just who you want to work with. Um, you know, what what kind of company am I working with? What kind of values do they have? You know, uh, what do their people believe in? Um, are they responsive? You know, are they friendly? Are they competent? 
all of those other things. Um, I'm not gonna sit here and sell you on like the backup technology because it's relatively common. Um, but what we can do is tell you about our culture. We can, we can give you the why factor. We can tell you exactly why we do this, um, what we believe in. And at the end of the day, customers are gonna have a choice of who they wanna work with and who, who, do, who aligns with them best. And that's, that's what we try to do. We try to, we try to sell through storytelling and just giving you as much background on us as possible so that you feel comfortable making that decision who you wanna partner with. And when you're talking about that culture, Talk to me a little bit more about that. Right. So um, I built the company in a way in which I wanted to be managed. You know, um, I did not like to be micromanaged. Um, I, you know, oftentimes, you know, I respected authority, but, you know, um, it was hard for disagreements to not get personal. And it wasn't, on, it wasn't even on my side. It was on their side. Um, you know, so I was, I was often very careful about how much I shared. I tried to keep it um to myself but I was often labeled as like a hothead and a you know not a hothead but that's maybe more of like a gunslinger in terms of saying too much you know and and, and saying things I shouldn't but mm. I spoke the truth the best I could and, and that came across maybe as arrogant or cocky for a guy in, the, in his 20s um but you know I I just had a, an idea of how I thought things should be run and so um I built the company with respect and and you know with with pillars um, of you know different values of, of things that I believe in and things I've learned along the way. Um, a lot of those values are based on mistakes I've made. So you know, um, you know, we we hire here for culture. We really do. It's it's whether or not you know competency is very important. We want to make sure that you know the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, I've often I often went into the into it with the mindset that I can teach those qualities. I can teach the trades. I could help you become a better IT professional, um, but it's very, very difficult for me to rehab a bad attitude. You know, it's it's got to be there. You know, I got to see it. And you know, we we're also very careful in, in our hiring practices of, you know, um, we survey our candidates with a culture index survey. Which, um, if you've ever taken any of those, like Myers Briggs or DISC or you know, it's like that, uh, because we want to make sure we're also putting the right people on the right seats on the bus, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is, is important, you know, um, because I feel like I found some of my best people in different roles, whether it's, um, it could be, a, you know, as an account, they could be an account executive, or they can be a uh, service coordinator or my COO or a marketing manager. They all applied to the account manager job at my company. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was something about that post that really, that they liked, but it didn't, you know, it got to the point where they admitted later, we were just applying to whatever was open because we knew we had to work there. We wanted to work there. Wow. So we use our social media to spell that out as well. So we're, we use our SEO efforts and other lead gen- generating uh, methods to try to get and attract customers, but we put our social media stuff out there to try to attract prospective colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sales job, not only for customers, but, but for talent. And yeah. so we I've realized that and I, f- I feel like that is something we do really well. So we showcase it. Quite That's interesting. That's so fascinating that, you know, so many of your leadership positions came from, you know, like you said, an, an account executive. It just goes to show kind of the power that social media has, the power of your presence online. Yeah, it's it's it, that's right. And, um, you know, to directly even answer your question, you, you know, I built the company in in a, in a, in a way that 
was conducive to how I wanted to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, but but over time, you know, you have to go from a startup to more of a structured environment. So, you know, it got to the point where I realized, hey, you know, I don't I want to just be a guy sitting here who owns the company and then just have like a whole bunch of technicians. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing all the billing and I'm doing all the HR and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, handling all the escalations and it just became too much, right? The, you know, you, you start a business for, for, for certain things that you see on the outside, mm-hmm. things that I didn't quite understand when I started the company was, you know, the, the stress involved in making payroll, you know, having one of your largest customers possibly, you know, upset with you, mm-hmm. um, having maybe a few of your best talented colleagues upset with you. You know, there's, there's a lot of other factors that play in to, to, to having a business that I really never considered in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, I wanted to make money. I wanted to have freedom. Okay. Those are great benefits. Um, but there's a lot of, everything's balanced. I really believe based on your job role, there's a huge balance. Yes. You get, yes, I'm paid the highest in the company. I was here first. That's the <laughs> way it goes. Um, but, and, and, and yes, I have certain freedoms. Like if I decide I want to go golfing during the day, I can do that. Right. But I'm also responsible if the place burns down, you know, like I have to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so the only way that I knew, you know, that I could, I could accomplish some of those goals was to scale. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was, it was developing and, and deciding at one point, Hey, look, I have enough money to hire people, but guess what? I'm not going to, and we need more it help, but I can't do that right now. Like I have to hire somebody to do the books because the billing got really complicated and became very transactional. And we started selling a lot of computers and firewalls and switches and all, all this product and hardware started kind of going out. And so it, we were invoicing on a daily basis. So we got to the point where I had to hire uh, somebody in that position. Well, that was a, a trust issue for me, right? Because I now, like someone had the ability to see just about everything that was going on um, from a financial standpoint. And so with that, you know, I had to be careful that I can bring somebody in I can trust. So over time, you know, we, we, we started to grow and we started to add people in key roles like HR, uh, like finance, marketing, sales, operations. And, you know, those people come with a hefty price tag. Um, even account management, right? Making sure that we're taking care of our customers from a customer service standpoint, you know, scheduling technology business reviews on a monthly basis for them so that we can stay top of mind on certain things. Um, the, the tech team probably didn't quite understand at the time, like, wow, he's got all this money to spend, but we're not getting our rate, you know, the kind of raises we want. We're not getting extra help and stuff like that. And it's, they had to understand things that I didn't understand when I was just an employee was, hey, the organization has to provide support as well to you. You know, I'm not here. I'm not available enough to support you because I'm one guy and there's a whole bunch of you. So like, I need to start putting people in place that can, you know, build, I I need to build this as an ecosystem, you know, can't just be too heavy on one thing, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's, that those were things that I just didn't really think about at the time before I started the company was all of these extra headaches and stuff like that. But 
I think that's part of growing and scaling too, is going, you know, from a startup, like you said, this was a new venture for you. Like you built this company the way that you would want to work in a company and, you know, growing and scaling, you know, I imagine too, like there were some tough times in in that growth, learning along the way and, and, you know, figuring it out. But, you know, you've obviously been successful. Magnatech has, you know, seen, seen extreme growth over the last few years and it's certainly something to be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I don't have an explanation for it other than you just got to keep trying to market. You have to keep trying to put your name out there. You have to try to build the brand. That's something that I've, um, that's something that I focus on very heavily now. You know, I'm not, um, you know, when I first started the company, I put together all of the tools and developed, you know, I, I purchased all the tools, put them all together, um, you know, had, a, had everything working uh, as much automated as possible because, I knew as a one-man shop, I didn't have the time to sit here and manually do all these things. So I had to set up that automation um, to give me a little bit of breathing room to try to grow and try to sell and try to add on and things like that. So, um, you know, I think once once I was able to get a little bit of traction, I can still I can start to develop more dollars and, and, and put more money into the marketing efforts to try to get more, more leads and more opportunity. Um, one thing that that we did notice was the leads tend to come in bunches and I'm not really sure what happens. You know, it's almost like the, the stars all align a certain way and then everyone needs IT help at the same time. So you'll end up getting like two or three leads at one time that you're trying to work through, um, which is exciting, but it puts a stress on, it puts a strain on everybody. So I knew that we had to really work hard to develop processes, uh, procedures, um, documentation, all of those things. Like it, we, we couldn't work any faster. So we had to get more efficient. And so, you know, that was another reason why we, you know, we hired certain people in non-technical roles that knew how to do those things. So now I can say, Hey, you know, um, I think we should, I think we should get better at this, this, and this, we got to start thinking about this. And now I could see like the COO is, you know, his heads, you know, his his, his wheels are turning because he's starting to think about how to implement it. And so I think, you know, the company has to get to a certain point where it's like, okay, you know, I can only take this so far as is because I'm only one guy and I can only go so much at this. And like, I have to start now thinking about who I could help, who I can bring in to help me implement. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, that's, that's a critical piece that I think a lot of people, they don't know how to get unstuck. And I think that has to do with the fact that they have to look, they can either keep it the way they want to keep it. And that's fine. If it's a lifestyle business and this is just where you want it to be and you can work really, really hard for the rest of your life or you can decide, hey, look, I'm going to work really, really hard right now while I can and 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 maybe get to a point where I can start to enjoy it later. And that's that's accepting that you have to scale. Yeah. And I think, you know, that there's a point in businesses where you hit that cusp of like, OK, like just like you said, you can either be content working, you know, for the rest of your life the way it is. Or you can say, all right, you know, I'm I'm ready to, to scale and then, you know, take a step back and put people in charge that you trust to be able to help continue to grow, you know, I, I hate to call it your baby, but you know, help help grow your grow your baby, grow your grow your company. Right. That's right. And so they have to believe in what I believe in. And so that's where those values come in, and that's the storytelling, and that's the being a good influencer within the organization. That's what you have to be as an influencer. Like I I have to be there and walk around and, you know, give them a little fist bump at their desk and not even say a word. Just just walk around and do that like while they're working. They might be on calls and stuff, but it's just acknowledging that I appreciate them and 
that, you know, the stuff they do is important and, you know, they could probably work for anywhere, for anyone really, but, you know, we pride ourselves as being elite and having the best people. And so why would you want to go anywhere else? So, you know, it's just, it's just getting them to believe in our message and what we stand for. And they, in many respects also can't, you know, see themselves working anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Well, Tim, this has been a great conversation. As we start to wrap up, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with, you know, either about Magnatech, about the industry, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. Magnatech specializes in small and mid-sized companies. So uh, if you're, you know, an organization that has, let's say 20 employees and, you know, we're, our, our, our sweet spot's probably anywhere from, from 20 employees to like 150 employees, but yet we, we service clients that have several more um, endpoints than that. Um, but it just seems like the most common range is in there. Um, if you're looking for someone who, you know, knows how to, you know, support your organization and keep you safe and not get hacked and, and, and provide reliable support, then that's what we do for you. So I would encourage you to reach out and, and let us uh, take a look at your network. I think that's fantastic. A great little bit to leave our listeners with. Well, Tim, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you, you know, your insights into scaling businesses, the little key, you know, tips that you gave just to just to help boost morale, you know, encourage a positive company culture. I think this was a great conversation. I really appreciate you being on Business Ninjas today. All right, Kelsey, thank you. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E dot I-O, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.